Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, tech and non-tech priorities for Wyoming in 2023, plus how data fits into those priorities, and monitoring the heartbeat of cyber and infrastructure security in Michigan. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. It's been nearly a year since Bill Vida rejoined state government and took over as the CIO for the state of Wyoming. Since then, Vida's focused on anticipating what the future will bring to IT in the state. I talked with him about the latest work on his plate right now and what's coming next year. I think people, uh, when they look at the end of a year, it brings a certain amount of closure. I know with us, uh, we're in the trenches every day. We're trying to make sure that we're, we're not only taking care of today's business, but anticipating tomorrow. But I think uh, one of the things actually on a lighter note that I'd like to do is start focusing on the accomplishments, the wins that we've been able to rack up. Uh, it's hard to take your nose away from the grindstone and really appreciate that. It's a lot It's a lot more challenging to focus on the things left undone or maybe that didn't go the way you wanted to. But you know, when people are the most important thing that, you're, that you focus on in an organization, it's important that you recognize all the little things along the journey that got us to where we are. And so, uh, Interesting you should ask that because that's one of the things I was focusing on this morning is just when just when can we sit back as a group and reflect on what we've done, not so much uh, to necessarily uh, celebrate those wins, but celebrate the effort right and and make sure that we're still headed the way we need to go. And that 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 theme focusing on people focusing on those accomplishments focusing on where we want to go is fundamentally a workforce discussion. Uh, I, I know in discussions with colleagues and peers, I know for, from questions that I get from different branches of government, even here in Wyoming, uh, workforce is uh, uh, probably priority number one for everybody. Uh, there are a lot of jobs open, a lot of recruitment that needs to go on, a lot of preferences, right? If you go to, to most states, they'll tell you we'd like to, to have organic candidates coming out of, uh, of our own jurisdictions. and. Uh, you know, with the advent of all this online technology that everybody's using, the, the temptation to maybe try to recruit people from outside of your your jurisdiction, uh, the friction there is is different than it used to be, uh, because of course the technology enables it and the scarcity uh, provides a motive to look at it, uh, but you still have these desires that creep in from from different elements of the of the stakeholder environment that that ask you to consider it, right? It, it could be a legitimate short-term solution. Um, but um, workforce, challenging, taking a look at recognizing people for the great work they're doing, making sure that they understand not just the, the importance of the work they've done, but the importance of the work they're gonna do. This is a great season to do that. And it's a great launching point to reinforce the other discussions that we have to have around workforce. Um, it's scarce skills. You know, everyone's looking for cyber analysts. Everybody's looking for project managers. Everybody's looking for uh, portfolio management or risk specialists, right? States expect, e- even with the environment that we face today, that uh, we're being fiduciarily responsible, that we're making great decisions uh, that lead to e- efficient outcomes. And um, uh, the ability to do that, to build a team that can sustain that over the long haul, that's a that's a pretty uh, uh, high high bar uh, for most states to hit these days. So 
that's kind of where my head's at, right? As it, it started at Workforce, I know when you asked me when we were when I started the job here in Wyoming, and it stays exactly in the same place. Work Workforce is the key. So let's let's talk more about about Workforce because I think we're sort of at a confluence of a couple of different Workforce themed topics at this moment in 2022, right? So there's certainly the, you know, the, the need to just fill the jobs, right? This is something that we've been talking about at forums like NASIO for the better part of the last decade. When you're looking out at the greater landscape of the people that you have, the people you want to have, the people who you might not have for too long, uh, what what's coming to mind? How are you sort of wrapping your head around all of those different priorities and challenges? Yeah, well, no, that's, a, that's a, you're exactly right. It's a lot, it's a lot to say. Uh, let me try to to shrink it down. You know, we I think you fundamentally as a leader have to understand that that, that you own the success of your people, and it, it's not just assigning them work and expecting to measure the results or things like that. But their success is your success, and you need to understand what what they need to be successful. So it starts out with if they're raw athletes, what kind of development do they need? Right? If you're starting your career, you're more focused on vocational learning. If you're uh, uh, ascending from maybe a more technical role into a role where you're supervising people or managing people, you need a different set of skills and abilities. And, and if you're seeking to be uh, my replacement, which I'm hoping everybody in the organization at some point gets a chance to do these kind of things, maybe you need some leadership training, right? And so there's, there's a, a formal kind of a process that you can put in place for workforce development that organizations are constantly struggling with because the the requirements really focus on each individual element of a team, not necessarily these broad horizontal distinctions that you you think my my discussion just now might have led us into. But but you have to make those capabilities available, and you have to give people incentives to take advantage of them. And beyond that, you've got individual coaching that goes on. It's that lateral communications and. Uh, as a CIO, you get stuck a lot into these vertical one-way kind of pronouncements. You know, you're pushing communications out uh, instead of getting necessarily the opportunity uh, to have those interactions at all the different levels of the organization to see how how the mood of the mood of the team is. And so I I go out here in Wyoming and I have town hall meetings uh, where I encourage every member of the organization to attend. Uh, I made some promises when I stepped in the door that I want to make sure people understand I'm a man of my word and I'm going to keep. And so I, I constantly publish those and I give people an opportunity to, to grade me on whether or not I'm meeting those expectations. And so you know, I think between that formal kind of a, a, a set of things that uh, people, can, people can use to reinforce their ongoing professional development that the communications that we're trying to put in place and that one-on-one -on -one interaction that we try to do uh, uh, every week, every month, every quarter, that, that's the way to do it. And at the end of the day, it uh, gives you a sense of what people are telling you they need to be more successful and a sense of, of how you need to structure uh, your, your resources and your priorities to make sure you get them what they need. So I'd be remiss, I, I feel like I'm always trying to do this with you, but I'd be remiss if we didn't try to talk about technology just a little bit. Um, if we're looking, you know, like I said, new year coming, uh, what are your three, three, five, however many you want to list, uh, technology <laughs> priorities for the upcoming year? 
Okay, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say I think that's a really boring discussion. <laughs> I, I know it. I know a lot of people want to hear it, but uh, you know these jobs aren't technology jobs. I'll just I'll say that again. But uh, I think cybersecurity clearly is on everybody's mind. It continues to be a top priority, and it is it is here in Wyoming. We're no different. Uh, I think there there are um, uh, elements of customer service. I guess that would be the second. I don't want to talk about modernizing things or, or um, uh, you know, kind of doing these new initiatives or things like that. That that's an I think those are inevitable requirements of, of using technology is uh, looking at ways to to take in the best of what the market can offer uh, and figure out a way how how you can make them work in um, in, in government. So. Uh, it's always amazed me that you can at home sit down with Amazon or Walmart online or whatever it is that you're doing and complete a complete transaction in, in the amount of time it takes you to click through whatever the interface is doing. But, you know, the burden of government and the administrative, statutory, regulatory, all the rest of those things sometimes makes that difficult for customers of our services. And so we want to find a way to, to lower that friction level right across things that we do online. And so we're going to focus on that as well as what you hear with people saying we want more digital government and looking at more things that we can do online. Uh, maybe the last area, I guess, would be data management. You know, there, I think part of the reason why technology, uh, for me at least, is, is the least interesting part is because constant, there's constant change in technology. It always offers new things to do, right? But, but people don't think about that. People think about the data that they have. Right. They think about their personal data. They think about their business data. They think about the data that they need from government to, to do things. And I don't think we've paid enough attention to, to making that as frictionless as, as it needs to be, not just in Wyoming, but I mean, really, really in most of the transactions in our life, because that's, that's ultimately where all the value is, is the data. And so uh, I think we're going to be focusing on how can we uh, come up with with uh, more assuredness, more consistency, better availability in the data that people need from the state. Uh, we're going to look at ways to make managing that uh, and the governance of that process more frictionless, right? Really, really trying to focus on efficiency in the way that we manage data and we make it available to people who need it. So I guess those would be they might not be, speak to specific technologies, but those would be three areas of technology that you can expect we're going to be focused on in the next year. Bill Vida, Chief Information Officer of the State of Wyoming. You can read more about him at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, the CIOs of Nebraska, Tennessee, and Vermont all tell you what's coming next in their states. You can subscribe to the podcast at prioritiespodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. The CIO job isn't the only one pushing forward change in Wyoming. Drew Dilley is the state's chief data officer. He's been in the role for nearly three years, but the work he's doing is still foundational, he says. I talked with Dilley about his top priorities in the job and how he's looking to integrate data deeper into how Wyoming does business. So the idea of a chief data officer in Wyoming is still new. I don't know how long I'll get to say that, but um, I'm the first data officer. So everything we do is new everything you know there's no blueprint for us to follow and we we uh we have to create it as, as we go into it um but the first thing that we really want to 
focus on is uh, compliance with our uh, state statutes when it comes to the uh, data related statutes. Um, some agencies we have, Wyoming has 83 uh, agencies, boards and commissions, which are all subject to, to those statutes. And um, some of them do a phenomenal job of, of complying you know, of what they've done with their data, their uh, unguided efforts. Um, some agencies, uh, maybe in particular the smaller ones, uh, didn't have much guidance on that before, especially with IT consolidation. Uh, their data experts you know, got consolidated in, into what we call enterprise technology services. So uh, reaching back out to the agencies now and try to get them compliant with, uh, with the statutes is a big effort. Um, and we've done that by creating a data governance council. Uh, every agency has a representative that's invited to participate. Uh, bring them in. We, we, uh, th that's a fairly new invention, uh, just new just this year for us. Um, but I think we have good momentum, uh, good participation. The agencies, you know, uh, you know, they they don't really have the time or inclination for one more council to to start um, gobbling up their time. But this is big enough for people that uh, we have good momentum with it. And uh, when we review the statutes, uh, we're able to share the successes of some of the agencies and, and frankly, some of the uh, failures. You know, we've tried this and it didn't work so well for us. So good collaboration between the agencies. And that's really where we are right now, trying to get that data governance council established and set up and, and helping all the other agencies become compliant. When you talk about the establishment of a council like this, when you work on that compliance with all of the agencies, I mean, where does this go for you? What does this look like? What does this enable Wyoming to do going forward? So one example that people can really get their head around is if a person moves to Wyoming or uh, let's say a constituent goes into the uh, driver services and to renew their driver's license and they say, oh, you still living on Fifth Street. They say, no, I just moved. I now live on 6th Street. So they get that corrected. Then they turn around, they go to Game and Fish to buy a hunting license. And they say, oh, are you still living on 5th Street? They say, no, state of Wyoming. I just told you I moved to 6th. So that's an example of, of where we have a common data set and where common can be, or where those data can be shared between the agencies. Um, like that's new and that's tough and uh, you know data is is a bit territorial um, but we're working on that we'd like to get to the point where if they update their address with one agency all the agencies are able to share that same common data set and uh, be able to use have it have a access to that real-time information so that's one example of where we'd like to get to that's uh, what we aspire toward and when you when you talk about you know working with these agencies and establishing this level of governance and compliance, I mean, how do you, like you said, you are the first chief data officer for the state of Wyoming. How do you get started, right? What 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 was going through your head, head those first couple of weeks as you as you got moving and got underway and and tried to figure out how to how to take a bite out of this apple? Yeah, how do you eat that elephant, right? Um, that's, that's great. And I, and you give me credit for saying the first couple of weeks, uh, it was probably longer than that, you know, or just, just a bit of swimming, you know, you got to figure out what you have. And so we adopted, uh, I, or I had introduced this plan that, you know, we have to, uh, first discover our data, 
and then understand the data, and then govern the data, and then finally consume the data. And so we're very much in that discovery phase. And that was the first thing we had to do was, um, if we want to know uh, where is the state's confidential data, um, where does it go to be destructed? Um, in order to answer quite simple questions like that, we've got to know what data we even have. What are we even dealing with? So we started with uh, uh, inventorying the data. Um, try, you know, and there's different facets to that. To collect your data, not all of it is on site. Some of it is with vendors. Some of it may even be overseas. And now you need to evaluate. You know, uh, should it be? Um, so there was a lot of the investigation uh, into the data discovery. What are we even even dealing with before we can get into some of the uh, more complex questions? And so when you do an inventory of, of that scale, I mean, how do you how do you turn that into action, right? How do you how do you look at those those results? Look at all those different locations where where data could reside, and 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 chart that path forward. Yeah, there, there's a lot of opportunity uh, there because it's never been, well, I won't say it's never been uh, investigated here in Wyoming, but it, it's new at this level for us. Um, so once you have the inventory of the data, what we did it was try to identify the common data sets. And of course, we, um, to no surprise, we started with citizenry data, uh, name, address, phone number, date of birth, you know, things like that are fairly common. Uh, across many, many agencies. Um, so identification of the common data sets and, and then the governance of them. And if we just instituted this saying, okay, now here's, here's your centralized data. And anybody who wants to um, have Drew Dilley's date of birth, come to this data location to get it. Well, I don't think that would go over very well. So uh, in that data governance council, you know, who has access to it, who can update it, um, how is it accessed, um, what does the refresh look like? Um, you know, you know, a lot of the governance, uh, we had to describe the rules around using those data. And so I guess to, to wrap up here to sort of pull it all together, we talked about sort of the big vision going forward, right, of what you want to be able to do with data that that's sort of, um, you know, constantly updating and, and single record for uh, for residents. Uh, what about when you and I talk in a year, right, ne next year at NACIO, um, what do you what do you hope to tell me that you've gotten done? Oh, boy. Um that, that'd be great if I could tell you that, you know, that scenario I gave you about the constituent that goes into different agencies and updates and only has to update his record once. That would be wonderful. Um, I don't know if we're a year away from it as we get, as I discover this, you know, that every answer leads to more questions. And uh, so I, I don't know if we're a year away from that, but what I'd like to see happen, what I'd like to report to you at NACIO next year is that that council that we've put together, they, they're they starting to work collaboratively together. Right now, a lot of the questions, a lot of the uh, targeted uh, questions come to me or come to the, uh, the OCIO or Enterprise Technology Services, you know, and they're new enough that they're not working with each other yet. Uh, and I want to see that happen. I want that discussion should happen across the tables, not through me. Um, 
once we get established that way, I think we'll be much more collaborative across the state. And uh, there's not one of us that's smarter than all of us. So once we get all of us talking, we're going to be in good shape. Drew Dilley, Chief Data Officer for the state of Wyoming. You can read more about him and the state's data work at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. When Michigan wanted to find a better, more efficient way to share information around cybersecurity, data was the primary blocker. The data that the state needed to power its cybersecurity and infrastructure program was siloed in business units and applications. State leaders needed to centralize reporting and accommodate bulk data sharing. Jason Cavendish, Michigan's chief security officer, told StateScoop's Colin Wood how they solved for that challenge. So um, cybersecurity and infrastructure protection is the department that... Uh, within DTMB that operates cybersecurity and physical infrastructure protection. Um, some of the challenges that we have on a regular basis is communicating with our client peers. Um, our solution to that was to create the cybersecurity data analytics program, which is a dashboarding and reporting platform that allows us to communicate information that we felt our peers would be able to uh, action and help remediate some of the risks that they carry within their environments. Right. So what specifically was the challenge or what does it look like when they need data and they don't have it? Could you go into a little bit more detail? So, you know, I mean, very much like any hygiene uh, situation, the more attention you pay to hygiene, the the better off and the healthier you are. And um, it's very easy for us to pick up uh, a tube of toothpaste and a toothbrush and brush our teeth on a regular basis. And the idea was to make it equally as easy to find information uh, that would specifically allow one of our, our clients or customers to be able to identify security risk and vulnerability information within their environment and take actions to help with remediation of those types of uh, circumstances that our team monitors and manages on their behalf. So in many times, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to collect all the risks that exist, but it's definitely the easier side to identify where risks may exist. It's more challenging than to go back and describe to your client, okay, this risk exists in your environment and here are the explicit steps you need to take to remediate it or reduce it to a acceptable level. I'm looking right now at some screenshots of the dashboards and the types of visualizations that you're talking about. But for people who can't see these, could you describe what these what what sort of information is being shared and and what? Yeah, sure. So there's there's two components. Um, first component is. Most of the dashboards contain what we call role level security. So each individual that actually accesses the dashboards will see different content based on their security, on the relevance of their security level. So if a agency security officer at a particular agency was to log on and look at the dashboard, they would see information about their agency specifically. The kind of information they're seeing can vary from general vulnerability information to detailed vulnerability information about assets and systems within their environment. And then that information is coupled with things like the CISA known vulnerabilities 
uh, known exploited vulnerabilities database content so that it can help prioritize the most egregious vulnerabilities that might exist in their, their platform. Uh, other things that they might see would be things like um, we all use uh, certificates to enable us to have uh, TLS, you know, transport layer security to protect our data in transit transmissions. And those certificates tend to expire uh, on a regular interval, it can be 60 days to three years to five years, depending upon how you're configured and set up from your certificate authority. And one of the dashboards that we have available is a certificate monitoring uh, dashboard so that individuals can take uh, more specific uh, accountability for automating the replacement and management of those certificates for their data and transit security protections. Hmm. So it's things like that. Hmm. Great. And uh, so you mentioned that Showing people this information is the relatively easy part. So, uh, but, you know, even being easy, were there any challenges that came with standing this up? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned it already a little bit, and that's that rule level security piece. One of the things that I identified pretty early on as we were collating the information and aggregating it and trying to make it, you know, presentable for um, a lay person to be able to look at. So this wasn't always targeted at someone that was deeply technical or deeply able to understand, you know, the intricacies of how to um, remedy those risks. One of the things we identified, though, was, you know, we really have to be very careful about managing who has access to the information. And that became a driving force for a lot of our work effort because we didn't want to reduce the trust that our clients and customers had with us as their um, you know, cybersecurity provider in that we didn't want agency A seeing information about agency B. And we had to be very careful about structuring the content and reorganizing the data itself so that it would facilitate that ability to have that role level security that allowed each individual to see information that was pertinent to them, but not information that wasn't really within their risk management view. So what kind of uh, feedback have you been getting from this and what sort of impact are you seeing? Are people being more secure as a result of having a mirror held up to their Yeah, exactly. So definitely, I think they're they're able to take responsibility for their own hygiene of their risks that are presented within their environments. Um, one of the first things that we really noticed was uh, people are focusing on the data and not on, oh my gosh, who has access to my data, which was one of our fears at the beginning. And we believe that we've successfully moved past that. And that was, you know, very rewarding for me and for Michelle, my um, program manager to know that we got that part right. And so that's kind of step A. And, you know, I often say that the way you succeed in cybersecurity is continuing to take step A over and over again. Uh, so, you know, step A with regards to who has access to the data, successful. So we know that they're focused on the next step A, which is they're actually looking at the data and not worried about someone seeing something that they're not supposed to. And so next step A is, you know, what are they actually doing 
and how are they able to address the information that they're being shown and taking action from it. And so we haven't seen uh, as much direct result yet as we expect to, but I do think that the awareness level that it's bringing to our constituents has been um, well received, and we're starting to see that um, feedback loop and that reciprocity that we're looking for. Have Has there been anything unexpected or any lessons learned or uh, any kind of advice that you, you would impart to your counterparts in other states? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to share security relevant information. Again, going back to the role level security thing, just, you know, obviously be cognizant of what content you make available to whom, but uh, getting that information out there and making it available for the people that you really want to take those actions is, is the critical point that you're trying to uh, make. So keeping all of that information secret and holding it tightly and close to your chest isn't probably going to help you get um, the risk reductions that you're really looking for to help protect yourselves uh, as you move into your security journey. Jason Cavendish, Chief Security Officer for the state of Michigan. You can read more about him and Michigan cyber efforts at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.